everyone, and welcome to today's very special episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Zhao, and today I sit down with NFL player and Penn alum, Brandon Copeland. Let's list out what Brandon's been up to the last few years. NFL player for multiple teams, including the Jets and Patriots, and just signed to the Atlanta Falcons this past Friday. Congratulations, Brandon. UPenn professor where he teaches Life 101, a course all about the financial basics of becoming an adult. He recently made this course and community available to the public, which we will discuss in the episode and also linked it in the description if you want to check it out. He's a serial private and public investor, real estate developer, and motivational speaker. He's also a frequent columnist at Kiplinger, CNBC, and is a member of CNBC's Invest in You Wellness Council with Acorns. He is a recipient of the Forbes 30 Under 30 designation and noted brand consultant. Brandon takes that Jay-Z businessman quote to another level. He invited me to attend his public Life 101 course, and it was awesome. It was a one-hour, transparent conversation on a Tuesday night with Brandon, myself, a large group of everyday people, and an expert on credit scores who joined us. We talked all about credit scoring, credit cards, and different strategies to make sure you're maintaining a strong credit score. I actually learned a ton and would encourage anyone listening to sign up for his class. It also comes with a Telegram community that I found very useful. Brandon has always been focused on what he calls the business of me and has made it his life mission to share his lessons with others. As a lifelong Jets fan, this was a very special episode for me. In this episode, we talk all about Brandon's path to the NFL, becoming a prolific businessman by interning at hedge funds and bulge brackets since high school, what he teaches in Life 101 and how you can get involved, trading stocks in between training camp meetings, the NFL's approach to financial education, and so much more. Brandon was fantastic in today's episode. Enjoy the show. Hi, Brandon, and welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. It's fantastic to have you on the show today as a Penn alum, Penn professor, and current NFL player. It's a pleasure, man. It's a pleasure. I'm, I'm always down to collaborate, but it's you know, special when you get an opportunity to work with Wharton, right? Like Wharton FinTech, combining passions, but also, more importantly, you know, things that you guys are doing is, is educating people so and giving them access to information. So I'm honored to be here, Ryan. Appreciate you having me. Of course. Great to have you. So first off, I do have to say, as a diehard Jets fan, thank you for always playing hard during some of the team's toughest seasons. Bulls' final year, Adams' first one. That one clearly didn't end well. You were one of my favorite edge guys during that time. But I do reserve the right to resent you and maybe throw you some tough questions for joining the Pats, which was probably the right move. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds good, man. All good. All love. So there's a lot I want to talk about today in your incredible life outside of football and what you've been able to build. But let's start with your path to UPenn and eventually the NFL. So you were born in Maryland with football in your blood from your grandfather when did you first start playing and how did you end up at UPenn of all places? Not necessarily a football powerhouse. Yeah. So start playing in fourth grade. Mother was really trying to keep me away from football just because of the injuries and all of that type of stuff. Clearly firstborn son, ultimately still her baby, so to speak, and, and just wanting to play, wanting to play, wanting to play. Finally, my grandfather convinced her, my dad convinced her, let him play, let the kid tough the kid up, all of that type of stuff. And uh, remember going out there and my first season, you know, that year 
was again fourth grade but i think i actually had a conversation a couple weeks ago reflecting upon the character traits that i learned that year how i still use them today going into my ninth season in the nfl and what i mean when i say that like literally that year i had there was weight classes and you had to be 115 pounds so for me to play with my friends i had to be 115 pounds Husky Brandon over here, I remember weighing in at 132 prior to football training camp starting. Mm-hmm. And so for me, playing football, but more importantly, wanting to play with my friends, especially that first year out, I remember starting to train and diet like no other. Like I, looking back on it, I'm like, this is pretty insane for yeah. a great kid dieting this young and running around the house in a trash bag and all of those types of things. But now, Look at me today. I'm in Florida and I'm dieting and I'm doing two and three times of cardio and all those things. So like those types of characteristics, I guess, really stuck with me years and years throughout the NFL. And to fast forward, get to the University of Pennsylvania. I really going into my third to last game of my senior season and one of my own teammates fell on the back of my ankle. Pops, I'm limping around the rest of the season. But for me, that was the wake up call of like. All of the adults in your life who've been telling you you're one play away from, from having the sport taken away from you, they're right, right? Like you didn't plan on somebody falling on your ankle or anything like that, and you're just not the same player with it. So decided to go to Penn, and fortunately, my grandfather's encouraging voice was in my head just saying, hey, if you're good enough, the NFL will come find you. And so go get the great degree, and then, you know, let's see where the chips fall so to speak. And then, so you went to the NFL and you bounced around a while until you made it to the Jets. What was that journey like? Where were you and what, you know, really kept you driving when I'm sure there were a lot of people saying, Hey, Brandon, maybe this isn't going to work out. You're not getting your shot yet. Maybe you should go back. Some of the other things you were pursuing and use that degree. I believed in myself, period. And I knew that I could do it, period. So at that point, it really doesn't matter what anyone else thinks or has to say or anything like that, right? I think sometimes in society, as people, we, we unfortunately, we become pinballs and we take other people's opinions of us way too serious. Now, there's a difference between getting advice from people. There's a difference between getting some mentorship and guidance and taking that in so that you can make the best product ever. However, we also need to understand the difference between I have my vision, I am a unique individual, I am somebody different, and my life is not necessarily yours. So you always have to take people's opinions with a grain of salt, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. So I do want to pivot outside of the football life. How did you first get interested in making money, so to say? So, you know, another field that requires a lot of grit, a lot of trust in your gut and trust in your judgment is finance and personal wealth management. So looking through your background, you worked at a hedge fund in high school, a period where most people, including myself, didn't even know what finance was, let alone a hedge fund. And then you interned at UBS while at Penn and George Weiss Multi-Strategy Advisors. This reads like the resume of a future Goldman banker, not necessarily an NFL player. Where did this passion come from at such a young age? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I always wanted to put my money to work for me. So even backtracking, right? When you look at the NFL, when you look at the NBA, you look at these players, right? Ultimately, they're getting paid by somebody, right? And so for me, it was like, well, okay, I know that I personally, like for me, I'm passionate about football. I love football. Like I love coming out on Sunday, 
hearing the fans. I love going to away games, playing Monday night football in Seattle, hearing the booze when you make a big play. Like, I love that stuff, right? Like, it's a different type of energy. So it's a passion thing. But I also understand that there are people who are making money and don't have to put their bodies through the stress, the training, the surgeries that I have to, right? And so for me, that intrigues me. There's somebody paying my salary right now, and not just my salary, but the quarterback salary and everybody's salary on the team and the janitors and everyone, right? So for me, I've always been interested in business and I've always been interested in putting my money to work for me. I'm different in the fact that I'm willing to put in the time, energy, and effort to actually learn and understand these different industries, companies, how they run their businesses, how they make money, how they lose money, right? So that I can ultimately do that same thing for myself when it comes to the making money portion, right? So I wasn't necessarily going into these companies and these businesses saying, hey, how do I come work for you, right? Although that is an option, right? I was more so going in with an understanding of how do I learn what you do so that I can apply it to my own life someday in whatever shape, form, or fashion I decide to apply the knowledge I learned from UBS trading to, right? The knowledge I learned from at the hedge fund Samuel James Limited to, the knowledge that I learned from Weiss Multistrat, right? Like, how can I apply that to make sure that the entity of Brandon Copeland is, is solid, is on good, great foundation, and is here to stay? And a lot of people here, entity of Brandon Copeland, hear me refer to myself in third person. Oh, he's an arrogant football player. No, like we're literally life 101. My class, like, <laughs> it's, you know, shameless plug. It's open to the public. We do it at Penn clearly, but we also are doing it on Tuesdays for the public guest speakers, all of those types of things. We literally just had a class yesterday on the business of me at Penn, right? We're having the same class at <laughs> my life 101 class via Zoom tonight the business of me, me LLC. And mm-hmm. so for me, when I came into the league, that was the first time somebody said, hey, you need to think of yourself as a Fortune 500 company, your brand, your board of directors, who the healthy relationship, the team around you. Are you the smartest person in the room? You probably want to get out of that room, right? Like, like those types of thought processes. And so for me, going and learning on those things at UBS, at Weiss, all those places, it's ultimately to build the business of me. Unfortunately, a lot of us, we get tied to our jobs, which are great. But once we go to college, we go to high school and get a job or go to college and get a job, regardless, we get a job. Unfortunately, a lot of us allow our dreams to just end and our own personal and personal slash professional development to just be stifled because now you have X amount of hours per day chasing the job's dream. But we got to keep growing ourselves. Again, the business of us, business of me, LLC. So anyway, shameless plug on that. That's a Life 101 class thing. But feel free, you know, to join the community, life101.il. We got free resources, all of those types of things for people to learn and educate themselves and really just to democratize the access to financial information. Yeah. And I'll be sure to link those links in the bio. You'll be able to see them in the episode description on Medium, as well as SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, et cetera. So Brandon, as you mentioned, you've taken many of these learnings that you've accumulated over the years and from these internships and decided to teach this course called Life 101, where you cover the business of me, 
basic things like credit cards, taxes, buying a house, et cetera. How did this course come about? When did you decide, I need to start teaching this? And how did you start this arrangement with UPenn? I'm sure there's a lot of people that would love to teach here. Yeah, yeah. I figured we're better to start, right? If uh, I think one of the reasons why I wanted to start at Penn specifically was because obviously it's a prestigious university, right? And if Penn is willing to say, hey, you know, we need to arm our students with how to buy a house and their credit and how to set up a bank account, buying versus leasing a car, budgeting, investing, then why isn't every single school in the country in the world, not putting an emphasis on this information, right? Typically, the response that we get from people when we talk about these things, right, despite the fact that everyone that you've mentioned it to from a non-decision-making role says, man, I wish we had that class. Man, I need that class. I just need to sign up for your class today, right? But when you talk (laughs) to schools, most of the time, what they typically say is our students already know this, right? You kind of get defensive because some of these things are so simple, it seems, or they told us it's simple. Your parents will teach you that stuff, right? Well, I'm in school for 16 years. You teach it to me. (laughs) Like, why am I, you know, you didn't have my parents teach me geometry. Mm -hmm. Why aren't you teaching me how to buy a house? Why aren't you teaching me about my credit? These things actually matter and will determine my entire life, not just the next five years, 10 years, 30 years, but you make a wrong decision with your credit coming out of college or coming out of high school, that thing carries with you your entire life. Maybe you, you improve your credit score, but you might not get the car you want at 28 because of a decision you made at 24. The ripple effect, the mental effect of that is alarming. And so we have the power to stop that. And I think that it's so, you know, it's, it's people ask what Life 101 is. It's really a simple class, but it's something that's just no one wants to talk about or speak about. All of the decisions that you have to make in life, we're going to have a conversation about it. I just refinanced my home, uh, not my home, but a, a, well, a home that I own through a business where we are renting to own. It's a rental property, right? And the stack of papers that the notary brought to the house is like this thing. <laughs> and it's been, we literally spent an hour going through this paper, this page, this page, this page. Right. Imagine if this is my first time refinancing a home. I do real estate and there is still, I've bought and sold, I won't say hundreds. I probably haven't done a hundred homes yet, but probably over 40 homes at this point, right? Mm -hmm. I know what I'm looking at. In that package of papers, there were still things that I was seeing for the first time. Like, what? I have never seen this before, right? I'm signing a 30-year mortgage (laughs) on this property, right? We shouldn't be learning about these things at the closing table. So again, I'm extremely happy that Penn decided to take a chance with us, right? My biggest pitch was like, listen, like what's going on? What's the worst that can happen with this class is somebody actually use some of the information that we're talking on, right? Like, I mean, we're talking on things that you're actually going to use, right? And so I'm, I'm glad that they took the leap of faith with us. It's grown tremendously. It's funny how some of the things and tricks we had to do to break the ice in year one we don't have to do them in year three because people kind of, the buzz is spread about the class and how relaxed, I guess, Professor Cope is, right? Like not a pushover, <laughs> but I guess, you know, they think that, you know, hey, we can actually talk in this class. We can actually right. be ourselves. We can actually ask questions. And that's the environment we're trying to create and also trying to build this community 
so that you don't have to go to University of Pennsylvania to feel like you have access to this information. So what exactly is the structure of the course? How are you communicating these ideas? And you know, what does the curriculum look like? Yeah, so the structure of the course is literally a, I was trying to think of how many lectures it is now. It used to be 16, but because of the virtual pandemic space, it might be 14 now. Uh, but anyway, you know, what we try to do is take a full holistic approach, right? So it's not just about investing. And that's what a lot of people, especially it's a hot topic right now, investing, investing, investing. It's not just about growing your money. It's also about budgeting properly. Can you actually afford to invest? first and foremost, right? What is your debt situation looking like, right? So we take kids, not even just kids, we take people now on that full 360 degree understanding of their financial makeup. So we talk about budgeting. We talk about understanding what a paycheck really is and really looks like. Understanding what, if I told you that 40% of paychecks are incorrect, that 50% of audits by the IRS are incorrect, but no one knows this stuff, right? Like no one is checking your paycheck. I have checked my paycheck multiple times and called my teams out on, Hey, you missed this here. Hey, you overcharged me here. Hey, you did not give me this deduction here. Right. These are things that we just should know and feel comfortable and confident looking at and checking. Right. So, but that is right there. Like, even your face when you saw that, those numbers, right? That's the importance of the class right there alone, because now you are saving the money you've already worked for, right? Like you're sitting here trying to crunch and let me cut cable, let me cut Netflix, which, (laughs) hey, it has to happen there too. But now it's like, how do we make sure that the money that I've worked for my entire life, I see as much of it as possible. Now we can have a conversation about investing. Now we can have a conversation about, okay, what are the best practices for buying my first car? Should I have the car dealership shop around and pull my credit and multiple banks? Or should I just go right to my bank? They already have my money. (laughs) Can I get a a pre-approval letter from them? I get my credit pulled Mm -hmm. one time and then now I go and I buy the car that I want, right? So just all of those things. So we talk about wills and estates, insurance, budgeting, credit, buying your first house, real estate, entrepreneurship, business of me, healthy relationships, right? Like this is a, the class is really different. And I, again, I, I'm proud of it clearly, right? Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be taking the time in my off season to run it if I wasn't, but we're really trying to make sure people leave our class and just, again, not only feel confident in the money decisions they have to make, but also feel confident in themselves, in their stories, in their strengths, their weaknesses, all of that type of stuff. So one, Ryan, I'm, I'm inviting you to class. If you'd like to come to class tonight, I'm going to shoot you a, 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 a link so that you can come to class and everything like that. But two, I think, you know, more importantly, is we're trying to build a community and there are too many of us making mistakes. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah, Brandon, that's so impactful. I completely agree. I mean, we all make big mistakes. I studied at Wharton and worked in financial services for years before this and still find myself having to learn every day. And unfortunately, fixing financial burdens in this country will require a lot from the consumer protection side, as former guest Chi Chi Wu would point out. But in the meantime, all we can do is help each other with this bottoms-up approach that you're doing. And like you said, these concepts are pretty basic, but they can determine your entire financial life. So I'm really excited for the work that you're doing. 
And on that point, I think one thing that would be very interesting for our listeners is how you've structured the final exam for this class in order to pay it forward. Can you tell our listeners about it? Yeah. So the final exam is we make our college students teach this stuff to high school students. Clearly, because of the pandemic, you got to shift and everyone this year is comfortable with the virtual space. So we're doing that on April 5th and April 19th of this year, having over 200 high school students come to learn from our, our students at Penn. But the original goal with that was one, we want every we want our students to understand the power in sharing this information and, and to realize that you have a small responsibility, not to just put pressure on yourself, but you do have a responsibility to make sure that the tips or the things that you're learning don't just stay with you, right? Like if you can teach this on a high school level, you should feel comfortable teaching this to your mother or your father or your cousin or a friend, right? Or a neighbor. We want to encourage people to not just learn the information and then just hoard it. You know, no, 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 no. I'll look at my paper. This is an open book <laughs> test, right? Like right. we need to be sharing this information. There's, there's no reason not to. We can all be in the place we want to be financially, right? And, and I think that that's what we have encouraged our students to do. But I, by doing it through that way in the final exam, one, my wife and I, we own our foundation, Beyond a Basic Thing. So philanthropy is in our heart, right? It's in our DNA. So, you know, selfishly, I hope that it encourages the students to feel like, wow, this feels really good. <laughs> I kind of want to do a little bit more of this, maybe not even in the financial literacy realm, but I just want to share or help people, right? Uh, but then two, on top of that, again, we want to make sure that people feel confident that they know the information. If you can teach investing on a high school level, you've got it down pat. And I, the final thing is it saved me from grading a bunch of papers and tests and all that type of stuff. There's the real motivation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, in, it's literally probably what, in the middle of OTAs? So God. yeah, the last thing I'm trying to do is grade 70 uh, exams right there. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so making this massively available, again, just to lay it out clearly, how can people get involved and how can they engage with this course? Love it. So if you're listening right now, I want you to go to www.life101.io. Go there, click it in your phone, tablet, laptop, whatever it may be. Check through the resources. We got some free resources. We have a free budget for you. We have reading lists. Uh, we have a community telegram where you can join for free and just soak up knowledge, soak up information, soak up things that, that apply to you and your life. We also have an opportunity for you to register for the course. It's 12 bucks per month, 144 bucks in total. It's cheaper than your Spotify, cheaper than Netflix, right? Ultimately, what I like to do, you're getting live virtual classes with me, Professor Cope, also the NFL player, and you're getting access to my friends, guest speakers, and all of that type of experts who are coming in and dropping knowledge. The most important thing, however, I want to make sure that you're willing to invest in yourself. The reason why there's a price tag on the live virtual sessions is one, you know, it's 2021, prevent trolls from just joining. <laughs> you know, it's hard to be a troll and pay to be there, right? But two, most importantly, and, and that now I've just jinxed myself, but now we're about to get a bunch of trolls. Oh, yeah. Probably paying, <laughs> but hey, we'll, we'll, we'll get them out uh, and keep them money. Uh, <laughs> two, more importantly, a lot of people come to the class, especially for the first time, and think like, I'm never invested. I want to learn about investing. Well, listen, you've invested in yourself to be in this class, mm. right? But 
we also just need to understand that investing is different forms and fashions, right? It's not all just about buying a stock. It's not all just about picking the next Tesla before it goes public. Investing in yourself is the most important investment you can make in your life. And so what we see is those students who come to show up on those Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, not only do they enjoy the class, not only do they learn some things, but they're more willing to actually apply the knowledge from class to their lives. Because again, now you've just invested in it. And for those who, you know, if you need an analogy, you haven't really invested in put, until you put your dollar into the stock market or your dollar into whatever it may be. Once you put a real dollar, it doesn't have to be a thousand, doesn't have to be even a hundred, right? Once you put a dollar into an investment, into a stock, a company, whatever it may be, watch how often you turn on CNBC. <laughs> watch how right. you notice those notifications from the journal or Bloomberg a little bit more. Yeah, you know, let me take the time to read this one. Once you put your money in, you've got skin in the game, you're a different beast. And that's what we're encouraging when we talk about this money journey. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we've had a lot of guests on in the past that talk about different wealth management fintechs and you know market research fintechs. And the ones that are really mission-driven all say the same thing. Even if you have 20 bucks of a Tesla stock or Shopify stock, it just turns you on in a different way to get you engaged all the time. And like you said, start investing in yourself to realize what am I doing with my money? What happens when this goes up or down and why? And it forces you on this journey because unfortunately, financial wellness is something that has to be a pretty independent journey, even if you have other people there to help you. So on that note, this is a fintech podcast. Are you a big fan of any certain fintechs? I know a lot of athletes have gone on board with apps like public.com and Acorns. Are there any particular that you know you admire or are invested in? Yeah, yeah. I think I'm really interested in those fintech platforms that are emerging now and trying to give access to financial wellness information, right? Or access to people who typically would not have gotten access in the past, right? So there's this app goal setter that I've heard of where I know a bunch of NFL players got behind it and, and actually it gives young kids their first hundred bucks or so to put into either a bank account or to start investing. I can't literally can't remember which one, right? But either way, it's giving them a start and it's getting them intrigued in the information. And what is the ripple effect on that? I think that that's cool. I also saw that Jay-Z just did a deal with Perch Credit, uh, where yeah. they're now trying to help people build credit through the simple purchases or simple reoccurring expenses that they already have. So you're paying your Netflix bill monthly. You're paying for your Wi-Fi or cable bill monthly. Let me build my credit score through that the same way you know, I would through buying a car and paying it back or something, right? Acorns, I love as well. I haven't personally used that, the app or anything like that, but I just love the premise and the concept of, yeah. you know, trying to, to make small wins, right? I know obviously they have a larger investment platform where you can deposit money and things like that, but trying to think about, hey, let's round up here and let's put it towards something bigger, right? I'm really big on thinking differently in order to reach the vision that I have personally. And so for anybody on their financial journey, 
what I would tell you to do is, is audit the decisions you make in comparison to the people around you. Not to be nosy or anything like that, right? It's just more about, like me, a prime example. I'm in an NFL locker room. Statistics say that 78% of us will be broke two to three years post-retirement. If I am making the same financial decisions as everyone else, if I have the same watch, the same car, the same style house, but I want a different result two to three years from now, it's probably not going to work out, right? Like something has to be different in the, in the recipe right. for me to get a better result. And that's what I think we also have to do because society tells us, okay, well, I need to go on this type of vacation and I need to do buy this car because that's what all my friends and society expects me to do right now. But ultimately, again, the only reason why people know that NFL players go broke is because they can Google certain things, right? right? They can Google our salaries and they just assume broke. Like that stat isn't even really a valid stat in my opinion, but they just make assumptions of what their definition of broke is. Regardless of that, ultimately we all have to take ownership in our own lives and understand that, hey, if I want a different result, my recipe has to be different somewhere. I can't operate like everyone else and expect better results. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. So that's a great point. It brings me to my last question. I mean, we read these stories all of the time about pro athletes getting into financial trouble. It's like ESPN's favorite thing to bring up. I don't know why, but I feel like there are a lot of great success stories that get a lot less coverage. There's Kelvin Beecham, a former Jet as well, who's actually going to be on the podcast next month. Russell Okung, who's always blasting Bitcoin on Twitter. DeAndre Hopkins, who says he's only chasing equity-only deals, which I love. Derek Morgan, Gronk, there's a ton. But it it brings me to the question, because there definitely are still a lot of players that struggle. What is the current educational and financial onboarding process like for NFL players when they first start out? Yeah, so the NFL and the NFL Players Association, both of them try to do a decent job of, of providing resources to players so that we can learn, grow, and ultimately understand our financial well-being off the field, right? What I will say is that timing is everything. And so even today, I was training with six, five other NFL players, right? And we've having a conversation about equity, venture investing, uh, real estate as well. And like, as one of them said, man, it took me to be, I wish I would have known this stuff in 19, 20, 21. It took me to be about 26 until I was right. actually interested in it, right? So timing is everything. A lot of times you're getting guys when they're coming into the league. And one of the hardest things in the world is to tell Superman that one day you won't have that cape or one day you won't have that power, right? And so I think the guys are doing a much better job of saying, hey, I want to learn this information now. So Getting back to the point, I think timing is everything. And at a certain point, you have to hear these things at the right time to be willing to accept them, understand them, and then apply them. And I think it's not only timing, it's also the delivery, right? Like one of the reasons why I've had success is because I'm you, right? Like I'm in the locker room with you, right? Like I have a whole group chat of NFL players in a single telegram thread that where we talk these things. I probably got guys to buy in a little quicker than most because I'm me, you know? So yeah. <laughs> I'm next to you in the locker room, right? If you don't right. join, you're going to have to be like, I'm going to see you the next day, right? 
And so maybe it's that, but I think it's also, you know, delivery and timing. Yeah, I have to say, I'm most excited for athletes to start to utilize their platforms over the coming years to take advantage of just this unbelievable brand and power that some maybe don't realize they have. And in today's creator economy bonanza, they have all the tools to, you know, empower themselves financially. So we talked about some athletes earlier, but even the Warriors with KD doing a ton of VC deals. And I'd actually even heard that Andre Iguodala has spent time shadowing folks at Morgan Stanley down in Menlo Park. So Brandon, this brings us to the final part of our episode, the rapid fire round. We've got a handful of questions for you. Are you ready? First thing, what is like your personal finance stack, the apps that you use? Oh, so Bloomberg, CNBC, MarketWatch, turn all the notifications on. So I keep myself up to date in the market. In terms of the, well, I don't know, do you want brokerage firms and the apps and stuff like yeah. that? So disclaimer, research, invest at your own risk, all of that type of stuff. <laughs> I don't support any of these. I'm not paid by any of these, but I had Robinhood. I recently got a lot of all my money out of that. I think I might still have some Dogecoin in there to be quite honest with you. <laughs> the, I'm not sure where Robinhood will be two years from now. E-Trade, Vanguard, Fidelity, don't really use that one, but I really like E-Trade the best. It's been the simplest for me. It was my first account, Vanguard. You know, it's, it speaks for itself. It's been here for a while. Awesome. What's on, you know, like your personal finance index card? There's those things that go around that you can fit all of finance on one index card. What are your maybe three golden rules for yours? Ooh, good question. So always know that first and foremost, on every single day, there's over a million ways to make money. You just have to find one, right? I think sometimes we get too overwhelmed with like, I got to do this and I got to do this or Kevin Durant, he, or Andre Gadal, he's working with Morgan saying, well, there's other ways to make money. We just have to find what our comfort zone is. That's one. Number two, understand that there will always be an opportunity. There will always be a next big thing. So don't feel like you're missing out on certain deals. If you haven't put it through the process, then pass. <laughs> like it is what it is. Wait till the next one. Three, there is no such thing as getting rich quick. If there is a get rich quick scheme, we'd all be rich at this point, right? And so for me, I think about longevity. And this is this is a change. I used to try to get rich quick. And so I'm speaking from experience. My first year and a half in the league, I was day trading options. I was trying to get rich quick. And I had some success doing it, but ultimately I couldn't sleep. I couldn't focus on the other bigger things. I, I'd be in meetings talking about the Seattle Seahawks and I'd be thinking about my Nike option, <laughs> right? Like, hey, this kid is wearing Under Armour. Oh my gosh, the stock is going down. I got to go coach, right? So, you know, don't necessarily think about getting rich quick, thinking about making good decisions with your money back in good companies. And over time, they'll find ways to make you rich. Trading options during the season, that's some of the yeah. craziest things I ever heard. <laughs> it was good. It was good. Yeah. It was good. It felt good. I would have yeah. some good days, especially with off days. <laughs> that's awesome. All right. Now, pivoting to the NFL, what's maybe the most misunderstood part of being an NFL player that your average fan doesn't know? I think the, the coolest thing about being a player is you're still a, a kid to a certain extent, right? Like, we're grown men. We, we, we handle business. But, like, there's no – not too many leaks. Not too many workplaces in the world where we can I can go up and just talk trash to somebody and they don't take offense to it, right? Like right. that's probably going to be the thing that I mostly miss about football is the locker room culture, being able to just shoot the ish with guys, so to speak, and and have fun. And I think that's that's the biggest thing that 
that is different about an NFL locker room or it might be the same in NBA and other professional leagues as well, WNBA and everything like that, you know, but we're still in the locker room. We still have a good time. And I think the biggest thing is like for people, right? Like, I mean, clearly people get a lot of access to me being classes and things like that. So they kind of know and understand that. But, you know, I brought friends around other players and I'm like, man, this dude is thinking about the same thing I'm thinking. Yeah, like, <laughs> you know, so, I mean, I think that that's the cool thing, right? Like we're, we're all human beings. We're all just trying to figure out our way through, through this thing called life. Mm-hmm. How about best quarterback and offensive lineman ever faced? Tom Brady, the GOAT. Going to give him that title. Obviously, you know, I've played Mahomes. I've played Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, all great players, Prescott. But I'm a big Tom Brady admirer because I just admire the competitive spirit. I admire the hustle. So, you know, he's different. I think offensive lineman, Laramie Tunzel, really good. Tyron Smith, uh, really good as well. But I would say Tunzel is one of the most underrated offensive lineman in the in the NFL. I mean, he's rated high, but like not celebrated as much as as yeah. some of the other guys because of uh I'm not sure, if, you know, whatever reason. I don't know, you know, those teams that are making historic runs and stuff. Yeah. And you're not getting that press, so to speak. But he's he's beast. Awesome. Yeah, that's good news for the Texans. It seems they might be headed for a big rebuild after the news of the last few days. So how about uh, what was your first investment and what was maybe your biggest winner and loser? First investment I bought as a junior in college in the middle of class, Ford stock, I want to say, or Bank of America. I want to say Ford or Bank of America. Either way, I was in it for maybe two minutes and the stock went down maybe three pennies and I sold out. (laughs) Chicken out like oh, that's the worst decision in my life, right? Uh, so you should, you know you got to build a stomach for this thing. Meanwhile, you know last week was one of the first times actually where the market was tanking, not yeah. tanking, but you know having that, having those few bad days in a row, and I'm just like it's all good. Like the portfolio is strong, it's all good, right? So that was my first investment. Um, best, I've had some really good success in. Private investing. Knock on wood. Let me say that. Let me knock on wood prior. You know, we got some locked up periods and things like that. Let's not have a correction to pay. But, you know, I've, I've been able to find some access to some deals prior to IPO. And those have been really good for me. Airbnb, Lyft. Oh, wow. There's this company, Skills. Got acquired by Yeah. I know Skills as well. Yeah. It's going very, very well. Keep going, Skills. So those have been really good places that are non-traditional. Had some really good real estate plays as well. I buy and sell and flip homes myself and stuff like that at times. And now I've gotten into more passive investments, investing in other people's properties and collateralizing the loan with the property itself. And we've had some really good runs with that. And I'm going to keep it going. But yeah, so those are some of the best investments I've made trying to think in terms of worse, I would say the biggest thing that I've learned is just never get complacent in the process, right? Like I spoke on that a bit earlier. I made a really good call on Nike one year and it was still a really good call the second time I made it. I made a really good call on Nike one year, earnings call, got the options my first year in the NFL and I tripled my account overnight, which was awesome. Right? Awesome deal. At the end of the year, it was an off day. I remember by 
the middle of the day, I was up twelve hundred bucks. On my off days, I was with the Titans. My off days, I'd get on CNBC early in the morning. I'd set my alarm, wake up early, get on CNBC, and just try to day trade for the day. And by noon, I was up twelve hundred bucks. Decided, hey, let me go go to the mall, go actually get a workout in, you know, do some things that'll help me be a good football player. Right by the end, I come back and right before the end of the, it was literally like 351, 352. And I was like, I'm seeing something. I'm feeling the same way about Nike. Let me go ahead and put more money in. Let's do it again. A few months later, let's, let's try to go crazy on the account again. And I put that money in. Did not go well. Just really good call on Nike. Really, really good call on Nike. Yeah. However, the next day, I think the, the market went dropped by like 2%. And once you had that, those options with that expiration date on it and everything like right. that, like I tried to hold it as long as I possibly could. And, you know, ultimately it, it was a lost cause. But for me, that was a big lesson. Right after that, that's when I actually went to intern at Weiss. And I, I was asking them a lot of questions about leverage and managing risk better because I didn't know that. That's not something I grew up with or understood. I, I'm an NFL player. My foot is on the gas pedal at all times. I'm risking everything, <laughs> my life <laughs> for an income, right? Like, and so for me, like that was a big learning lesson in complacency kills, as they say in the military. But more importantly, like also just don't be greedy. Like I had a yeah. good day, but it just kind of, but I just saw something and I was like, ah, I can do more. So Yeah, it's never enough. So then final question, who would you like to see on Wharton FinTech next? Oh, well, I'm, I'm interested. Kevin Beecham, that's one of my buddies and mentors. That's going to be a great, great interview. Crypto space is hot right now. So, you know, we'd definitely be curious to hear from Pompliano, Anthony Pompliano. Oh, yeah. There's people in that space that are, are at a pair of Michael Saylor. You get Michael Saylor, get Elon. Elon Musk going here, man. That'd be a nice one. But yeah. no, either way, I mean, I, ultimately, I, I think the, the cool thing is you guys have set up a platform in a space where people can learn and grow and, and have access to information. So I really shout out what you guys are doing. And it's really amazing to see. And again, appreciate you allowing me to share the space a little bit. Brandon, it was awesome having you on the Wharton FinTech podcast today to share your mission and everything you're doing for people around the world and at the University of Pennsylvania. Great having you on the show today. I can't say we get a lot of NFL players, but this was a great episode. Definitely excited to share with our audience, as well as a lot of my Jets fans from back home. Love it. Love it. Love it. Everybody take care. Stay safe. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review. And if you're looking for more fintech content, subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Medium at Wharton FinTech. There you will find articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. I've linked our accounts in the episode description. I would also like to thank our editor, Rafael Ostria, for his incredible work on our episodes. Signing off, I'm your host, Ryan Zauck.